Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, friend, if you didn't grow up in a traditional Christian home, but were genuinely searching for a deeper relationship with Christ, what questions would you have about faith? Today, we're going to talk about that. So welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm excited that you are listening in for season four, where each month I'm inviting a co-host on to share her story and faith questions with you and with me. And together, we're inviting guests on who are willing to share their own stories and perhaps even address my co-host's honest questions. And if you haven't listened to our June co-host share her faith journey yet, I highly recommend you take the time to do that. We've recorded a couple episodes together so far, and I'm looking forward to our conversation again today. Welcome back, Mariah. Hi. (laughs) Mariah, how are you doing? We were just talking about the cicadas before we pressed record. I'm good. I think going back to the cicadas, there's definitely a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, they're everywhere. I think it's worse in the mornings because they flock around the light. The other day I was trying to get to my house and my porch was covered in them. And I know I just showed you a video, but I couldn't even get in my house without one flying in behind me. So they don't bite or anything. They're just really big and loud. So they're oh kind of scary in that way. But I think it's just there's a lot of them. And that's what kind of freaky. <laughs> I, I bet it makes Washington State look better and better, right? I think so. <laughs> I, I go to school in eastern Washington, though, which is pretty similar here weather-wise. I definitely am more of a western Washington person. Yeah, but, but we don't have the cicadas. We don't have the cicadas. But you have pollen, so it's kind of a toss-up. We My allergies aren't as bad here. <laughs> well, all right, all right, you're right. <laughs> Yes, I'm in central Washington, so really close to eastern Washington. It's only a couple hours away. But yeah, I, I every time I see these videos of these giant insects, I think one of two things. One, I'm really glad I don't live there. Or two, we've been watching alone a lot as a family and wondering, do people like survivalists eat these things? I don't know. But it seems like Yeah, yeah. People, there was a bunch of people that were posting videos on how to make them. And there's a ton of people that were super excited because... Um, Apparently, they're really good fried, and there's a bunch of recipes for them. So people, when they first started coming out, when they first come out of the ground, they basically morph to get their wings, kind of like, I don't think that they're, when they first come out, they don't have wings, and then they kind of come out of that body and then go into another one. And right when they freshly 
I have no idea what the term is, but when they freshly kind of shed that is the best time to pick them and cook them. So, wow. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes about cicadas and how to cook them, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't, I've Finding never eaten them, real. but I know it's pretty, I know it's pretty popular. Mariah, how are also you? how they survive. So, oh, how are you? When people get sick of eating them. <laughs> Mariah, how are you enjoying the podcasting journey so far? What has this been like for you? It's been fun. I think it's interesting. It's definitely giving me more questions. Um, yeah, pretty much. It's definitely something that I'm interested in doing, like with today. I know we've talked about it. I've gotten four hours of sleep and I'm still here because I want to be here. I think it's important and just interesting. So, Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about our conversation today. I was really grateful for the conversation that we had with Zach last week. That was really um, powerful hearing his story. But today we're going to kind of talk about some different things. And we have a very special returning guest that's joining us. Um, I, you know, I could say a lot about this returning guest. Um, I just think she's great. Um, she's well-educated and well-traveled. Uh, she's an apologist who loves engaging with the big questions of life. And she's not afraid to address those really big ones. Um, I'm really excited to welcome her back, Alicia Wood. <laughs> we are cousins. Distant <laughs> <laughs> <and> relatives, didn't <laughs> It's always funny when I email you or someone, someone I'm like, oh my, I feel like I'm messaging myself. This is so bizarre. Uh, we're both woods. That's what I we know. are. Maybe like far back. Maybe there's, <laughs> although I'm just, my, my maiden name is Moore. Okay. And so, you know, okay. but it's, uh, you know, people always get it wrong. You know, there's always an S added to the end, but you just, you roll with it because, yeah. you know. That is it, but I, I'm sensitive to that. Um, so yes, when I see somebody with the same last name, I think I said this in the last episode, I feel like we're kindred spirits because we, we get that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And people often have said to me in the past, are you related to Tiger? I'm like, no, he's Woods. I'm Wood. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> how have you been? How, how are things going for you? Well, you know, we're in spring what's left of spring and spring is my favorite season. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just love when you come out of winter and the earth comes alive. It's like nature wakes up again and the flowers come out. The cicadas come out. The cicadas come (laughs) out every 17 years. So as much as I dislike it, I also have to remember it only happens once every 17 years. So in that way, it's kind of cool. That's right. Cause they're on the ground for 17 years. Technically every year. And then also the, ones that are every 17 years also happens every year. This is just the biggest group of them. Well, I, find it interesting. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, that's spring, you know, like everything <laughs> literally comes alive. Like it just does. They come out of the ground after 17 years. Goodness, where was I 17 years ago at a very different place than I am now. So they've been hibernating or whatever you call what they do for a long time. <laughs> um, so yeah, so no, I, I just, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying spring. I, I uh, garden. And so my tomatoes are in, my bell peppers are, are planted, jalapenos, basil. So stuff is trucking along. Wow. And do you cook as well? Because I find that people that garden usually like to do something with the, you know, the produce of the land. <laughs> exactly. Like I love, yeah. So a lot of the tomatoes I do raw um, just because it's so nice to, you know, drizzle them with like a balsamic, some kind of balsamic or some cheese or something really nice like that. 
Um, and then I also freeze some for the winter and I, you can, you can freeze tomatoes, believe it or not. You can put them in like stews, like soups and stews, that kind of thing. They don't like, they're, they're, they're usually really, really soggy, but if you make chili over the winter, you know, I freeze some and then I throw them in the chili. Well, we might have to just have a link for chili too. I mean, yeah. this... <laughs> I always forget chili. to talk about Jesus here. <laughs> I mean, you could probably put cicadas in the chili. Oh, I was thinking like cilantro, like what is it? Um, Or pico de gallo. It sounds like a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Going back to um, finding something real. So uh, Alicia, you've been on here before. You, I think, shared a little bit about what being an apologist is. Um, Would you share again? Because I know there's people... um, listening and myself included in the past, you know, even as a Christian where I was like, what does it mean to be an apologist? What does that mean? Yeah. Right. And, and so people wonder, you know, do you spend your life apologizing? Like how could you have done that much wrong that you have a career in apologizing? Right. <laughs> Which I totally get. I totally get it. But um, that's because the word apologetics is not an English word. It's a Greek word. And it comes from, it's basically two words put together, apo and, and logia. So it's like from or to, for Apple and then logic or reasoning, that kind of thing. So basically from logic. So an apologist um, uses um, uh, logic, um, reasoning, rationality to kind of, to kind of advocate for why something is true. So actually it was my atheist friend who explained this to me because she was, she was the archeology span major. She'd say, so back, uh, back in previous centuries, um, a lawyer would give an apologia on behalf of their client. So a lawyer would actually go ahead and give that argument as to why their client is innocent or whatever the situation is. And so that is essentially what an apologist does. You, I am a Christian apologist, but you could be a Muslim apologist, a Hindu apologist, a Buddhist apologist, whatever. It's just basically you're arguing for, um, you know, re- for your particular belief system using facts, evidence, reason, all of those kind of things. And so that's what I do, which means that basically I'm not the person that's going to say, here's the Bible, believe in it. I'm just not going to do that. Um, I, I want people to know why they believe what they believe. And I want people to feel confident that what they believe in is true. Mm. Not just because some don't take my word for it. Um, but people can actually say, like, I actually think that there is something to this Bible, to this Christianity. Okay. So there are a lot of people listening who maybe are just like, okay, well, I'm, (laughs) um, Maybe I don't believe that or I do believe it, but don't have reasoning behind it or don't feel the need to know. I was even talking to um, somebody recently, an, an older Christian. She's like, oh, it's blind faith, right? And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> no, not for me. Um, but and she meant well by that. But I think there's actually quite a few people that feel that way about Christianity, like you have to take it on blind faith. So what is it? Why did you become so passionate about this topic? Because not everybody is passionate about it. Yeah, you know, not everybody is passionate about it. And that is, uh, that's very true. And that's fine. I think the re- what made me passionate about it is that this is just kind of who I am. Uh, my undergrad was in criminal justice. And growing up, I, I read Encyclopedia Brown, and I loved mysteries and just trying to look and see if I could figure out, you know, who did the crime or who stole the tennis ball racket or you know, whatever the, the stories were in the, in the children's books, just by following the evidence where it leads. So for me, it would only be natural that I would take that same approach to Christianity. And so I think ultimately that's probably, the passion kind of came out of just my own life, just, just how I even approach this topic, how I even um, desire um, for people to engage 
with these with these topics in the same way. And it's just the way I think. So when somebody, it could be something not even related to this, but somebody tells me something, I'm not going to take it face value. I, 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 I analyze it and I think it through and I try and see how does that make sense and those kind of things. So for me, this is very much a reflection of just how I process through. And I just love being able to help others to process through things the same way. Yeah, I love that. Well, I know you mentioned before we started recording that you had the opportunity to listen to Mariah share her story in her first episode. Um, and Mariah's here. She's got these great questions. And one of the things that we talked about in that first conversation, I said to her, and I'm sure you heard this, Alicia, I was like, we're going to have to get a bona fide apologist on here to talk about some of these issues. <laughs> this is like, these are hard things to, you know, oh. dissect and talk through. And I'm just very grateful that you're here. And Thank Mariah, you. the floor is yours to ask whatever you want. Oh. I'm trying to decide which ones are more opening friendly topic because I feel like you, they kind of layer upon each other um whichever one I works guess, for you so I guess the easier one is how do you hear from God or just kind of how do you know something is actually kind of a message in that way and everybody's kind of different but oh can I can I real quick just interject mm-hmm. here one thing that I noticed in re-listening to your episode Alicia is that you and Mariah both have there's a similarity you were talking um, when we were talking with Ruby about how, when you weren't sure about God, you had these experiences where you're like, well, God, th- there's something divine here. There's something happening here. Mm. And Mariah has shared that with me as well, that mm. there's things happening in her life that she's like, this isn't just by chance. Somebody mm. sees me. So anyway, there's a, there's a similarity I know, and I'm, there. I'm trying to wonder if I, if I shared that, uh, share the story the last time. Cause actually maybe I think that might be helpful for Mariah's question. Yeah. I will say, first of all, Mariah, I don't think it's always easy to know whether or not God is speaking to you. Sometimes it is challenging and it, it, some people just have a really clear, I, I, my grandmother was like, she felt God's voice talk to her. Okay. Maybe I've experienced that a couple times in my life. So that was her experience. Mine wasn't necessarily that way. Um, and so my point is that there's different ways in which he communicates. It isn't just that it's one way for everybody that's universal. And I actually think that's a good thing because I think different people connect and respond to different, different sensories, you could say. So for example, some people um, and, and, and a particular religion will say God appeared to them in a dream or Jesus appeared to them in a dream. And that convinced them that Jesus was real. So they, they are convinced and have changed their life because Jesus appears to them in a dream and says, I am truly God. Come follow me. If that had happened to me, I would have said, Alicia, don't eat spaghetti at midnight and you won't have these weird dreams. <laughs> right. So for me, that's not going to work. OK, but it works for that person. And so, and so I like the fact that it is different. And a lot of uh, actually Christian, um, I guess you could say growth in terms of understanding Christianity and growing as a person who is a Christian is learning how God communicates to you. And so that's not always going to be the same for everybody. So here's, here's, here's one story that I can quickly share that um, might give you some, a little bit of clarity for this question as well is uh, Several years ago, back when I was in high school, 
um, I had to move out of, uh, I graduated high school and I was moving into a, an apartment and I, I was doing a lot of babysitting and had, you know, racked up the money I needed. It was like $435 was like the first month's rent. So cheap back then. And, um, I, that night I gathered all my money that I, that I had, I needed to give it to my uh, friend of mine that I was going to see at church later on the evening. And I was $30 short and I couldn't understand because I'm like, I was pretty sure I'd counted this before. And I'd actually counted more than $435. I couldn't understand why I was short on this money. So I was looking on the floor, you know, you're like, looking at, like, I don't understand where the money would have went. And so I was like, well, I must've just counted wrong, but I'm like, this is my first rent payment. And I'm completely like late, like I'm late on my first payment. Anyways, I go to church. I give the woman the money and I'll tell her, look, I'm babysitting this weekend. I'll make more money. I'll give it to you. So that night I'm just, you know, at church and they're singing and doing things like that. And a, and a gentleman comes up to me and he's like really stumbling. He's like, I don't know why, but God is saying, and he don't understand it. This is what he's telling me to do. And he's going back and forth. And I'm just looking at him like he's crazy. And he goes, here, here's $20. And I, I want to say, Rad, that I was like this super amazing Christian. And I was like, God, you hear me when I talk and you're trying to talk to me right now and let me know that you see me and all these things. But actually, that was not my response. My response was, where's the other 10, God, because I'm still short. <laughs> like that was actually like, cause I was like, why would you give me $20? I need 30. What good is $20 Lord? If I'm still short. So the rest of the night, I'm like waiting for somebody else to come up to me, waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> and like, nobody comes up to me. So I give my friend the $20 and I tell her again, you know, I'll get the rest of you. I only you 10 now get the rest of you later. And I go home and I'm so confused by this. I'm like, why would he only give me $20? Like, I don't understand that. Anyway. So I'm packing up my room, you know, you gotta get ready to, you know, to move and I'm putting things in boxes and then I pick up one box and underneath this box is a $10 bill. And for me, it was the sense in which I, now that now I was freaked out. Now I was like, okay, God, you're hearing me. And you're also letting me know that you are taking care of me because I hadn't gone around and told people I need this. I need that, whatever. He actually knew what I needed. And he was saying, Alicia, I'm going to take care of you. Just relax. I got it. And I think for me, that wasn't like an audible voice. That wasn't like a feeling. Um, it was much more of um, a sense in which I am seen right now. And this isn't a coincidence. This is a communication. And I think for me, that was just one example of the way that God has communicated, communicated to me. But there's many ways. There's other times I get certain ideas or it's almost like I get a download of information, like a, like a, like a three paragraphs were and the whole paragraph just gets downloaded at one time. And it's like the whole idea, the whole concept, everything just kind of comes together. So there's other ways in which it happens, but that's just a little bit of what's worked for me. And so it can be a challenge to, for people to know, was that a coincidence? Was that a feeling? Was that what? But when you take it in, 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 in you, when you hold it with all the other things that happen, you begin to over time, learn more and more that this is God or this is not. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I think that something that's helped me too is God doesn't contradict his word. Right. And so sometimes, uh, you know, if you're like, well, was that from God, you know, <laughs> kind of align it and go, does this align with scripture? Mm -hmm. Does it align with what he says about me? Does it align about his character? You know, and scripture also says that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So it's like, well, 
that 20 bucks, man, that's from you, Lord, <laughs> you know? And um, so anyway, I don't know if that helps, but that's something that I do when something comes into my life. I'm like, man, Lord, is that from you? Uh, if it aligns with the scripture, if it aligns with, uh, you know, his character, I take it as a gift. I'm like, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Right. Like nobody can say God told me to gossip. Yeah. Yeah. You know, God told me to, to steal this. Like nobody's, you know, there's, there's not exactly. It's going to, if you hear, if you are having a sense in which God is telling you to do something that is contrary to his nature, because he can't be morally imperfect and still be morally perfect. Then you know that that's not God. That's something else. And that will even help you to better know how God communicates in the future. Because you have, you're like, okay, so that isn't God. So now that helps you to eliminate and be like, okay, so now I'll have a better feel for when it is in the future. But it can be, it's a process, I would say, for a lot of people. It is not something that you just kind of feel like you get the first moment they become Christian. Some people do, but not necessarily everybody. Yeah. Mine is my next question already. So my next question was going to be, um, how do you kind of differentiate between what's God's will versus what things just happening and I think you kind of answered that but something to kind of go off of that would be again I don't even think this was kind of mentioned in my little questions blurb it might have been but going towards free will is since we do have it if everything's kind of well do we have free will in a sense because if our free will lets us choose something and then there's still potentially something that happens from that, did we have the free will in the first place to make that choice or was it kind of already made for us and then that's where we went to the next phase? Because I know that the idea is that God is omniscient, so knowing everything and already knows what our decisions would be before we potentially make them so if he already knows what our decision is do we really have free will over that decision oh well done right i feel like you could answer this like you <laughs> totally like raise the questions raise some of the issues with some of the answers in the questions yes like this question my dear is a big question that people in christianity people aren't even christians ask because somebody who is like an atheist will say to me well because i'm an atheist i think everything is determined my biology is programmed in a certain way. I don't have free will. I am just responding to the chemicals or the chemicals are following their normal processes. You know, if I get scared, this chemical is programmed to release. So I'm just responding. I, I'm all controlled by the chemicals in the biology of my body. And there's this sense of extreme determinism within an atheistic, naturalistic framework, right? But when we introduce God, we kind of have a different possibility now. This possibility that just as God is a free, free being, potentially we can be too. Now, let me say this. God as a free being is even limited in what he can and cannot do. Okay. So God can't do anything. In other words, he can't do the logically impossible. Okay. So um, he can't make a, a person who's a married bachelor, for example. Those are two contradictory terms. God cannot do something morally imperfect. Okay. So, so even within his freedom, there's, there are, there is a containment in a sense or, or boundaries in a sense around even where his freedom is, because the minute he goes in, into a step of moral imperfection, he's no longer God. And that makes the whole thing crumble. So he, he actually can't 
do something evil or wrong. Um, but you, but you've also raised all these other things like, but if God is omniscient, well done on the big word of the day. Um, <laughs> in other words, if God is all knowing, then how in the world do we ever do anything free? Let me, let me make it even harder on myself, Mariah, by, by expanding on that point you just raised. If God is omniscient, all-knowing, and he knows that five minutes from now, I'm going to lift my hand in the air and I'm going to put it down, then do I really have free will to not do it? See, he, because he already knows I'm going to do it, then I actually can't choose to do anything different but what he knows is going to happen. So his, his knowledge already is going to put a little bit of a containment around what I can freely do. Okay. So I can't choose to not lift my hand in the air because, because he knows it's going to happen. That means it has to happen. So I can't choose anything otherwise, which is basically what you were getting at. So I would say this, the, the, the Christianity has a variety of views on how we deal with this thing, this, this question that you've raised. Okay. I don't think Christians will ever come to a hundred percent consensus on how this whole balance works because we just don't necessarily have enough to be able to fully conceive or understand the concept in the biblical text itself. So I would say this, it does seem that there's an element of which we are free and there also definitely seems an element in which God is in control. Does that mean that because he's in control or because he knows, does it mean I can't really choose something? Not necessarily. I think a helpful example is, is if you think of a couple, let's say they're in their 80s. So they've been married, let's just say 60 years. And let's say, let's say the husband is at home and the wife, you're there with the wife and the wife is talking to you and she goes, oh, the time is five o'clock. I need to get up and go put on the kettle for my husband because he's going to come home in a few minutes and he's going to want a cup of tea. So she goes and puts the kettle on. He comes home. Hi, honey, how are you? Walks to the kitchen and grabs a cup of tea. Now we could say, did she determine he was going to do that because she knew about it? Or did he freely cho choose to do it? He freely chose to do it. She just knew because she knows her husband so well what he's going to freely choose to do. So she, by putting on that kettle, she didn't control her husband and making him do that. She just knows what he's like. And he walked in the house and had the ability to say, I want tea or don't want tea. But because she knew he was going to do it because she knows him so well, when he freely chose it, she didn't make him. That was him freely choosing to do. So we have this tricky balance, Mariah. We really do. And it, it, it is something that people are uh, constantly trying to wrestle out and constantly trying to sort out. You know, and people going, I mean, I've seen people say that, you know, everything is determined and ordered by God. So your thoughts and your actions and the things that you say. And some of the challenge with some, some of those views is then what do you say about things like suffering? That, so God is causing the suffering. God is causing the pain. And you got people all be on their side who say, well, actually, God doesn't really know the future. And God actually isn't fully omniscient. And he learns from the decisions that we make. And there's times because he doesn't know the future, there's times that he gives us advice or tells us what to do. And then fast forward a year or two, and God realizes because he didn't know the future then that he gave you wrong advice, that he messed up. And that he somehow has to maybe even repent of, of, of having to do, giving you the bad advice because he didn't know the future. So my point is you see the big spectrum swing and there's all these views in the middle. So here's what we know is that, you know what? There is a balance of free will and God's sovereignty and, and, and his determination that is somewhat mysterious to us. 
But we do know that anybody who freely says, God, I actually want to know you, can. Did God determine that? Did somebody freely choose that? When you're saying I freely choose, at the end of the day, you know that you can't be denied. And to me, that's what's more most important. And it's one of those things that we continue to think through and wrestle through, but we may not fully ever know. I have so many more questions just from that one answer. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. It kind of goes into the other one. But um, so how you're talking about how God can't contradict himself, so he can't make um, immoral decisions. Do you think that through creating beings that are able to make immoral decisions, do you think that that in itself is immoral? Oh, well, my friend, that's a really good one to think through, isn't it? Um, it comes down to what is the goal of creation? Yeah, God could have made a world in which people had, where basically morality didn't exist for the human species. So they were almost like an amoral and, and there wasn't like a moral uh, weight or um, accountability with what they did. Um, he could have created a world where people were naive about morality. Um, or he could, you know, there's, you could go on with different possibilities in terms of worlds he could have created. But if the point of creation, what we see in Christianity is that God is creating people, not because he's bored or because he needs something to do, right? Because eternity past has been a long time, right? And he's like, I'm looking for some more friends here, right? He's not creating out of a need, okay? Because Christianity believes in this idea of, 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 of God existing in three persons where there is uh, the ability to talk, you know, Jesus is, is there, God, the father is there, the Holy Spirit, and they can talk and have relationship and all of these kind of things with each other from turning to past. So they're not bored. They've got, they can talk to each other. God is not in need. Okay. If he's in need, then we have an issue with the character of God. And that introduces a whole nother thing. Well, he's he got the creating. angels too, right? He's got <laughs> all the creatures around him. He doesn't need more. At some point he's creating angels. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So God isn't creating because he's bored or he's in need of something. God creates to bring us into the relationship that already exists, that is good and that is perfect. He creates so we can experience that goodness. We can experience him. We can experience love. We can experience relationship. We can experience all of these things. But here is the thing, Mariah, for those things to be possible, God has to create a world in which those things are also not possible. Let me explain what I mean. In order for love to be genuine, you have to have the ability to not love. So if I, if I can't, if I can only love, let's say I live in a world where I can only love, then when I say I love you, Mariah, it doesn't really mean much because I can't say I don't love you. If I can only choose to love you, then I can't choose anything else. Then how is the, what is the sincerity or the depth of the love? And so what God does is for certain things to be genuine and real, relationship, friendship, love, et cetera, we have to have the option to not do those things. So when somebody's your friend, they choose to be your friend, not because you're the only person on the planet, but because there's so many others available to them, too many other people available to them, but they choose you. That makes your friendship special and unique. So in creating a world in which we can do these things that we do that are not good, it isn't because God has somehow self-contradicted in a way. We can't have love any other way 
if you don't have the ability to not love. And as a result, those of us who don't choose love or choose, you know, other, other just really immoral actions, we then cause harm to so many others, including ourselves. I forgot where you want to go from there. Um. <laughs> those are, I mean, these are like, I don't know if you've ever thought about studying philosophy, but my friend, you are just on route because these questions are like, these are million dollar questions that people have been wrestling with for centuries. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're already someone who isn't even, you know, you're exploring religion and yet these are like all in your mind. I mean, they're so good. I know. I think the thing that I think of when you were mentioning how a perfect world basically doesn't exist. I think if you're to take a more literal stance on like the story of Adam and Eve, isn't that what was initially created is this perfect world and then it wasn't? Mm, Yes, you're absolutely right. So, but that world was a world in which evil was possible. So even in the story of Adam and Eve, you're right. God created it good. And he said it was good. Right. And, and, and there was this closeness with, with the world around them, with God, with the animals, but there was always the possibility for evil to happen. And of course, as we know, it did. So, and, and so, yes, that is what he created, but we did a really good job of not keeping it that way. (laughs) Do you think that because he knew just the nature of humans, do you think he knew that that's where it would end up? And that was kind of, because I know before you said it can't basically exist that way because it means less. Do you think it was potentially a plan for it to happen? Mm. Or if he already knew it would happen? Like, why would he create the, like, did he create the ability for it to happen? Or how did it end up there? Or is that kind of separate from him? The ability for evil to happen? Yes. Um, Like, who created that then if he can't? like give us that trait how would he create something that would give you that trait great so did god know that was going to happen yes absolutely um and because he knew it was going to happen he had a plan from before he even created the earth as to how he was going to deal with it when it did happen okay so there's a there's a uh oftentimes jesus referred to as um as as someone who was, who was essentially crucified or killed before even the world came about. This idea that um, what, what happened to Jesus was coming even before the world was created because of what God knew was going to happen. Uh, so yes, he, so to answer that first part, yes, he did know what was going to happen. But what he didn't do, and you're right, if God creates evil, then there is I I would agree with you. Then there is a moral issue that I would wrestle with. If he creates a world in which the evil is possible, that's a different story. So if I create a, let's say I am the creator of the chair. That's just the best example I come up with. I am the creator of a chair. And I, you've never seen a chair before. You've never known of a chair. You've either laid down on the ground or either stood up. Okay, so I come along with this chair and you're like, this is amazing. And I bring you this chair and I tell you what to do with it. You can sit with it. You can curl up with it. And I tell you all of these things. So I created this chair. You in turn take the chair after I leave and you use the chair to bash in the microwave. Okay, so now the glass on the front of the microwave is shattered. Okay, 
did I create the broken? Did I, did I like, did I create the situation which you broke the microwave? Did I create the, the broken microwave? The fact that the microwave is broken. Am I responsible for that? These are some of the questions that we have to ask because what I did was tell you how to use it. But in creating the chair, I did create the possibility that it could be used for harm. That's why I told you how to use it in the first place. If I didn't tell you how to use it, I dropped this thing off at your house and you're like, okay, and so you just started bashing things in your house. Maybe I could be held responsible. But if God tells us how to morally live, he does it so that we know we don't use that chair to bash the microwave. And so creating, I created with an intent for you to sit, you took it and use it for harm. That's the same kind of idea that we're looking at here is that God creates a world where things can be good, but the possibility of us using it for harm exists. He's not responsible for that. He's just, we took the good and we used it for harm. Um, so then I guess kind of going back to that example of the chair and being used for something else and the terms of the story what else would that fruit serve a purpose for if it weren't I know that it was said basically don't eat it but what's its purpose then oh the tree in the garden yes like what would be the purpose of that if that wasn't because we were told not to eat it because then basically our eyes would be open and then we'd have the corruption and everything else but what else is its purpose if that's not Obviously, that's what it does, but does it have a purpose outside of that? Um, I think, you know, I think the purpose of the tree was essentially God saying, if you want to do your own thing, I'm giving you the opportunity to do that. I'm not restricting your ability to freely love me. So as long as you want to maintain and stay in this state of relationship with me that you are in, you're welcome to. But the minute you don't want to, you have an opportunity. I think that was God making love a choice and not Mm -hmm. making it a forced thing. Without that tree, we would have lost the ability for love to have been a choice. Which I I just would add, love isn't really love if there isn't freedom, right? I mean, it's so yeah, the existence of love necessitates the existence of the opposite almost. Exactly. If I go up to you and I say, Tell me you love me. I'm going to punch you in the face, <laughs> right? You might say, I love you, Alicia. I love you, Alicia. But you're not feeling warm, fuzzy butterflies for me, right? You're, I force you into saying that. Even though you're saying those words, you don't really mean that. Why don't you mean it? Because I've taken away your freedom to say, I don't love you, right? Love exists in, in a, love has to be exist in a state where it's a choice. People that people are freely able to choose. And the minute I take that from you, is the minute I question whether or not you can even love me or love anyone. I think that's interesting because I remember um, hearing more about relationships and how just as you get older and especially married couples that have been together for years and years and years, their perception of love is a lot different than new couples where newer couples would say, oh, it's a feeling and that feeling's there versus an old couple might be saying that, you know, there can be sparks at times, but a lot of the times it's a choice. So I think that's an interesting comparison just to mention that it goes from being just having the feeling of love versus having the choice to have that feeling. Yes. Mariah, you're giving me new ideas for things to say in the future. (laughs) You are absolutely right. 
Yes. And that is actually a fundamental problem we have in our society is we think of love as only a feeling. I think I, I wouldn't say that there's no emotional aspect to it. I don't know if I could say mm-hmm. that. Maybe I'll like it definitely is, but it's, see, right. there's a choice to it. Also, it's not just purely I have these feelings and that's the only reason I'm here. Yes. And what does it mean? And so let's 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 go down that choice pathway a little bit further. Right. If it's a choice, that means that you are choosing to act in a way that is loving, right? Mm-hmm. You are choosing to show love, even if you don't feel love. And here's what's interesting about that concept for me. This is where I think Disney messed us all up, Mariah, <laughs> because, you know, it's like, oh, it's, she falls in love with this prince and he's amazing and she's beautiful and he's handsome. And then they, he's like super wealthy and everything is perfect. And they say, I do. And the movie ends. It never shows day two. It never shows the second day of marriage when you know what? Now he's annoying her. He left this thing here. He made this mess here. So she's on his case. They never show that. And we just think of love as this emotional bliss. Interestingly enough, Mariah, you are on to something that I think is really important that I wish our culture heard you say, because in the Bible, when it talks about love, we actually have an entire chapter devoted to love. And when it talks about love, it says things like love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't rejoice in the wrongs, right? It goes on and on to talk about how love is an action. It's not saying you're being patient with yourself. You're not being kind mm-hmm. to yourself. It's you're, this is how you respond to other people. You're absolutely right, friend. There's that choice. There's that action that you choose to act loving towards that person, even if you don't feel it. This question is completely unrelated to every, well, not everything, but what do you think happened before Jesus, like to the people that were sinners that weren't saved yet, what would have happened to them? So that's it. Or, or like, is it fair to be like, oh, only people born after this event are now saved and everybody else has kind of had to do whatever to get saved? Yeah. So, okay. This is one that, that is definitely one that I've had to wrestle with and many other people have had to wrestle with. There's a a verse in the Bible that I want to actually, or a couple of verses, I just want to read you actually really quickly. Um, It says this, um, it says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures uh, foresaw that God would actually um, justify the the non-Jewish people by their faith and announce this message, this gospel message to them in advance to Abram. It's like all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith in God are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why do I read you that passage? It's Hebrews 11, right? Uh, this is Galatians 3, oh, but Galatians. Hebrews 11 will, will uh, allude to some of that as well, actually. Yeah. Uh, so when you look at what we call the Old Testament, we look at um, this story of, of, of people that are Wait, that recognize that number one, there's a God. Number two, that recognize there is a Messiah who is a savior figure who is going to come and save them. Okay. What they think is that this person is going to, um, they know that's going to come through the bloodline of a gentleman named David and actually other people, Abraham and Isaac and all those other people, but it's, it's going to come through this bloodline. They know that's happening. And this person is going to help Israel because you know what? Israel has had a hard time with enemies. 
and people keep conquering them and they keep just keep trying to attack them and ruin them. So they're waiting for this king to stand up, lead them into victory. He is going to save them. What they missed was that he wasn't coming to save their physical kingdom, but to save their internal hearts. My point that I'm me telling you all that is even in the Old Testament, they knew, number one, there's a God. They knew, number two, I'm not good. That's why they kept sacrificing animals to make up what they've done wrong. So they had a full recognition of them not being good, full belief in God. And they knew that there was this Messiah. There was a savior figure that was going to come and was going to save them. They had missed what he was going to save them from. Some, I think some, some people may have had glimpses of it, right? And, and even um, uh, in, in the book of John, um, he talks about how this is the one, this Jesus that's here, he's the one that we've been talking about. So he's identifying him. And so it seems to me that people back then had, had, a, had a good idea of what was going to happen and what was to come. They didn't know fully. Do they know Jesus was going to come and die on a cross? Uh, I don't think so. Otherwise, they wouldn't have contributed to him going there. Okay. They, they didn't recognize that that's what it was going to be. But they were fully aware of their actions. So, and, and it's interesting because it talks about how... Um, Jesus' death didn't just apply for those who were born after him. It applied to those born before him. And so what we see here in this passage, when it talks about how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this, and it says things like the, the, the scriptures knew that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce this message to them in advance. So there is this sense in which these things were being fed to them even though they didn't fully understand it. So I don't think they were walking around super naive. I think they had a full understanding of the existence of God and their own mess ups as people. Um, and, it, and it clearly sees that people like David and many of these other people who didn't fully understand what this Messiah was going to be like, believed God. And he accounted that as um, belief in him to be accounted for um, for that relationship with God. Yeah, I never hear an answer for that question, but I've always kind of wondered because it does seem kind of strange to just have that. Obviously it didn't happen at the beginning of everything. It happened kind of in the middle. Well, not in the middle, but it happened after a long period of time. So it wouldn't, it didn't fully make sense to me. I think that it would only count for people after that. Because then it's the question of, you know, why, why then? Why not earlier? Why not later? Yeah. I, I wrestled with that question too, Mariah. And Hebrews 11 has really helped me to understand that. Like what Alicia just said, it's um, Hebrews 11 says uh, it, it goes through a bunch of people who lived by faith, who came before Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And it says in uh, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then moving on to verse 16, um, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Like, I think the thing that really has helped me in processing some of these big questions mm -hmm. is always going back to the character of God. Is he good? Is he loving? Is he the creator of all things? Because scripture says that by him and for him, all things were created. And so if I go back to who he is and I go, you know what? I don't know what happened to all those people who came before Jesus, but I know that God in his infinite wisdom and 
I mean, the Bible says that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so far above us. We can't even fathom. We, the, the problem that I see in culture today is that we so often take God who's way up here and us who are way down here and we flip it. We think that we get to define what's good and what's just and what's right. When really God's like, I, I, did you ever watch Men in Black? That's an old movie. Okay, Alicia. You, you, okay. I'm, I don't you know if I've seen it. I know the song. Okay. But at the very end of the movie, there's this crazy thing where you see, I think it's aliens, like there's like this tiny marble, mm-hmm. which is the earth, right? Okay. And I remember watching that when I was like 16. There's a point to this, I promise. Alicia is covering her mouth. Um, I remember seeing that and thinking like, how big is God? How big is the universe? How big is who the creator of all things? I mean, people that study the universe are constantly amazed at the intricacies of what's out there. Not just our, not just our tiny little, you know, world, but what's out there in space, what's the billions and billions of huge stars. I mean, they can't even count them. Mm. And I just think, man, Lord, help me to have an understanding of your greatness and your majesty and your light that is so far beyond my comprehension help me to have the faith to believe that you are who you say you are which is good because so many of these questions come down to the character of god is he actually good i don't know that's that's helped me yeah absolutely that's a great passage to use as well hebrews 11 for sure yours was good too i need to look that up galatians 3 (laughs) (laughs) all right mariah i know you got one more question you've been holding on to the hardest one i know Oh, um, I know that just the general synopsis is uh, why does God let terrible things happen? But that also kind of goes into free will is so we're given free will, which could have us do terrible things. Why would we have that free will if those terrible things would be done to other people? So like, I guess the worst example I can think of would be like Hitler. He had the free will to terrorize and many innocent people were hurt by that and it was devastating. But why would one person be given the free will or even if we had free will, why would they be given after this free will to continue to have the ability to do all of those things Hmm. if they're that terrible? Right. Because that doesn't seem good to the people that have to suffer at the hands of someone else's free will. Right. It seems like a bit, it seems not a bit, it seems very unjust, doesn't it? You know, this idea that there will be the innocent people are suffering over the evil actions of others. Um, People who don't deserve it are paying the penalty for the evil actions of others. Um, Interestingly enough, Mariah, I think one of the ways that Christianity understands this question is that Jesus, God allowed Jesus to suffer a punishment on the cross that he didn't deserve. God allowed Jesus to suffer and die for something he didn't do. So this idea of God allowing something someone innocent to suffer as a result of somebody else is not inconsistent with how he responds to things in this world because he took he even he didn't absolve himself from it 
Mm-hmm. You're, you probably know Jesus, we believe is God. And so while we're looking at what Hitler did, and we're saying that is horrendous as it is. I've been to Auschwitz. I've walked into those. Um, they're almost like cabins. Just, I mean, they're not even like, there's no insulation. They're not even like little houses. They're just wood cabins where these people were forced to live and were sandwiched in there. I've walked through Poland and Auschwitz in the freezing cold in February. And I know how horrendous it is. And I have a jacket on and things like that. We look at what he did. They didn't deserve that. We're a- it's absolutely right. And God himself puts himself in that same line of fire. We, he didn't deserve it either. And just like we didn't, those people didn't. He also is willing to say, but I too will suffer like them. But, but here's the second thing. In Matthew 5, there's this interesting verse that kind of talks about how um, Jesus is saying how the, the rain or the sun rises on the just people and the unjust people. The rain falls, which is also a good thing, on the just and the unjust people. In other words, already in Bible, you in addition to Jesus' death on the cross, you hear Jesus talk about how there is a sense in which good things happen to good people and bad people. In other words, there isn't a correlation. We think if you're good, only good things should happen to you. And if you're bad, only bad things should happen to you. That's really not how Christianity sees it. And that's why, and the reason why is because Christianity sees all people as bad. So we wouldn't really even say, why did that evil thing happen to this good person? Because we wouldn't even see that there is anybody good. The only one who is good is God. There's people who do good actions, but the, those people who've done good actions have also done really bad actions. So they're not good just because they do good actions. Just it, that doesn't change the, the, what they've done. So the question almost wouldn't, it would fall apart a bit in Christianity because we wouldn't say, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Because we wouldn't even see people as good. This is kind of like the verse that was brought up earlier, that there is none righteous, no, not one, is what the Bible tells us. In other words, there's no, none, when it says righteous, essentially there's none that's perfectly good. No, not, there isn't one. We are all bad. And so the question could almost be, why does God allow bad things to happen to bad people? Would actually almost be the way that Christianity would, um, would look at it. So this same incongruence that you're seeing between people getting what they deserve, by the way, is not new. If you were to read some of the Proverbs and, or some of the Psalms, actually, I think it's probably more so in the Psalms or maybe it's in Proverbs too, but, but I can't remember exactly where, where I read it, but people will talk about how the wicked people, everything seems to be going great for them. And all it seems like the good people, they're suffering. And they're like, God, how can this be? This is something that we've been wrestling with for centuries. And it will never go away. This wrestle will never go away because we always have the sense of justice. We have the sense that bad things should happen to bad people. But if we're all bad, then we would expect the bad things. In this world with full of bad people, we would expect and understand that bad things are going to happen to, to us all. So could God take away the free will of certain people? Well, that would be an interesting concept. Um, I think that there are times when God does take people out of this world and say, you're done. I do think that that happens. I don't know when that happens. I don't know who that happens to. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many bad things God prevents either, because all I see are the bad things God allows. 
What I don't see are all the bad things that he stops from happening that we never see. So it's quite, quite conceivable that people could be suffering even more. Perhaps God is way more active than we're, than we're giving him credit for. And we're only seeing the tiny things that he lets through. And we're missing the magnitude of stuff that he's held back and stopped. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility too. So this, this correlation between people getting what they deserve and all of that, if God didn't absolve himself as an innocent man from getting something he didn't deserve, I don't think he's going to absolve us from it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't grieve. That doesn't mean we shouldn't mourn. It doesn't mean we shouldn't scream injustice. It doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for injustice. It just means it shouldn't surprise us. But we still can be angry and we should be angry. We still should cry over it. We should still try and stop it. We should still intervene where we can. But it just means that we know that this is the way things will function in this world for now. But in the future, things will change. And that's the hope of every Christian. It's not that the injustices will stop now. We know they won't. It's that, the, that God will create a new world where they will no longer be there, where those things won't be there. And so we endure as humans through this painful situation in lieu of uh, what is to come. Alicia, could I follow up on that real quick? Um, and this is just I don't know, something on my heart recently, I've seen a lot of people um, almost consumed by the darkness, even Christians, people who have hope, who are just feeling really um, a a lot of despair and a lot of hopelessness. And so um, when you talk about, um, which I agree with you, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. We know that from scripture, right? Um, there's some people, and I've talked with some of these people who say, well, the Christian view of humanity isn't a good one. It's that we're, you know, all sinners and we're all messed up and thank God that there's a good God that loves us. <laughs> Would you speak to the hope that we have in the identity that we we find as believers in Christ? Because I, I think it's such a paradox, right? We're sinners, but the view that God has of us is so beautiful. And I feel like sometimes we miss that, that tension. So I was just wondering mm. if you'd speak to that a little bit, because I know you speak with college students and I'm sure this kind of issue has come up before. Oh yeah. I mean, Christianity, um, makes a differentiation that oftentimes our larger culture kind of merges the two together. So when we say somebody isn't a good person, we are talking about their actions or their thoughts. But what we are not talking about is their value as a human being. Those are two separate things in Christianity. So you have an identity, that is a firm thing that cannot change. And you have actions which change and are good and are bad and these kind of things. And maybe just maybe just make I should make one point of clarification. I'm not saying that people are do all evil things. That's what Christianity looks at people as this dismal view as everybody's evil. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, if I give you a a bottled water and I take one tiny drop of blue food coloring and I put it in that bottled water, yes, 99% of it is still water, but it's not the same pure water it was before I put that blue in there. And it's like, well, we've got people who do an overwhelmingly large number of good things for our society and for our culture and for each other. Those bits of bad we've done have tainted us. And so that's what, like, just like the blue 
uh, food coloring taints the bottle of water, even though it's a small amount. So what I'm not saying is that all of humans are evil and disgusting people and we never do anything right, never do anything good. That's absolutely not true. I think there's plenty of people out there that are doing amazing things to help us as a culture and as a society. But what I'm just saying is that, that we can't overlook that little drop of blue food coloring. And Christianity recognizes that as being in the water bottle. And so therefore, we would say people aren't good. We're not as good as we think we are. But what is good about us is what God says about us. And the creator of anything is the one who gives value to the piece, right? If, if I um, show you a picture and it's got a bunch of scribbles on it, let's, let's say it's a painting, it's got a bunch of scribbles on it. And I say to you, I want $5,000 for this. You're going to look at me like I'm a nut, right? The cicadas have gone to her head and they've confused her, right? <laughs> but if I tell you that this painting was painted, it was a Van Gogh or it was by Da Vinci, it's going to change the value of that painting. Why? Because the value of the painting is determined by whose signature is on the bottom. Hmm. And in Christianity, it is... God's signature as our creator that determines our value. The creator determines the value of the creation. And so he, so in God's eyes, we are all valuable, whether we are doctors, whether we are office managers, whether we work in clerical, whether we're an electrician, whether we are, whatever we are, our value stays the same. And that is separate from our actions. Our actions are something completely different. So nobody, this is why when we get into some of the topics of, of, of slavery or of racism or any of these kind of things, they actually can't find a home in Christianity because Christianity equalizes everything. It equalizes us. In Acts chapter eight, when God tells Philip to go and speak to an Ethiopian eunuch who had just come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, God says, go talk to him. He wants the Ethiopian to know about him. There is an equalizer in Christianity that says we are all valuable and we are all precious equally in God's sight. So that to me, that grounding means that when I do something wrong, that doesn't define my every nature. That doesn't define who I am. It defines my action. It defines my feeling. It defines my thought, but it doesn't define my identity. My identity is not wrapped up in my actions or feelings or thoughts. It's wrapped up in the signature of the one who made me. And that to me is beautiful because it means that we as people don't have to go through life wondering whether or not God likes us, values us, or loves us today because we messed up yesterday. His love doesn't come and go based off of our actions. His love stays with our value. And so that means that we have, or in a situation, we have an unconditional love because it's not based off of give and take with God. And I, so I think that's beautiful. I think that's great. And I think it's something that gives us a lot of peace um, in Christianity and as a larger society. Any thoughts, Mariah? None I can really think of. I think a lot of it is good points, but I think some of it's just hard to wrap your head around because some of them just aren't same with how I kind of like mentioned like oh I read the bible and I was like oh that's not that nice um well I didn't really read the bible but I read the thing 
when you were that 11. Was about the Bible. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound that nice. Certain things, like coming back, like just the idea that everybody is inherently like not, and you already clarified, but even just kind of looking at it as if there's bad to everyone instead of like everyone is like at a core good. Cause I think I'm the type of person to look at as everybody is at their core good and pure. And if that's kind of the opposite idea in a sense. And I think just kind of those ideas definitely clash. So that's really what a lot of it is, is I have like just the way that I understand things. I think definitely is more with rose colored glasses as I Mm. want to see it as everybody's good and everybody's like inherently good. And so I think it's interesting to think of it in a different way. And it's something that I don't know if I like accept that answer. Sure. And and I think, Mariah, what's helpful for me, what's, what's helped bring that down to earth for me is being around kids, mm-hmm. being around like two-year-olds and one-year-olds. And you see what happens when they get, you, they, they, you do something they don't want you to do. Or... You got two two-year-olds and one two-year-old takes the other two-year-old's toy. The other two-year-old doesn't like that, walks over, bites the other two-year-old. <laughs> okay, I want my toy back. I'm going to bite you. What's interesting to me as I observe these things is nobody has to ever teach the two-year-old to bite. Mm-hmm. We always have to teach two-year-old not to bite. In other words, from the time we are little, we are, we are automatically looking to what serves us best. And if that means harm you, then that's what I'm going to do. And we are taught by our parents, actually, let's not bite. Just come get mommy or daddy and we can help you process this. But we don't bite other people. We are constantly trying to take our negative behaviors and turn them into things that are good. And that's what's helped me recognize that maybe we aren't, maybe that this idea that we actually aren't as good as we think we are is best evidence in the life of a child. But I would say this, Mariah, I I mean, who can be upset with people who look at life through rose-colored glasses, right? It means you wanna see the best in people. Like you wanna see the beauty in people, you wanna see value in people, you wanna see the good in people. Like, I like that about you. Like, I actually think that's really nice. Like, and that's not what what I want to change. I think it's just an under, I think what it is, it's an understanding of maybe how we got to the point where we're doing a lot of the good things that we do. We didn't start out that way. Maybe we were taught and trained that way um, by our parents and that kind of thing. I have a question for you, Mariah, if I can ask you one. Um, As you've kind of, because you've thought through so many really good things, I can tell because the questions you're asking me, these are some of the big ones. and you've read some parts of the Bible. I know you haven't read it all. You're in the process of reading, which is good, right? You got to read to you learn about Jesus, read the Bible. Um, and so there's, and there's always going to be things that we're, that we're going to read in the Bible and be like, I don't know what to do with that. I still have those questions. I don't know what to do about that, God. Not sure about that yet. But that doesn't mean everything else isn't true. It just means I don't have an answer for that particular thing yet. Mm-hmm. So someone who is on this journey, someone who is clearly, um, smart that isn't that is trying to make the decision that is best for them and as you're studying and learning what do you think it is that you will need 
for you to come to a place of belief. If it isn't to have all your questions answered, in which case I can tell you right now that, that will never happen because it's not going to happen for me. It's not going to happen for anybody. There's no way I'm going to answer everything about God in this side of heaven. But, you know, is it, is it one of your questions answered? Is it wanting God to be a certain way before you'll believe in him? Is it finding enough evidence for it or whatever, whatever? I'm just throwing out possibilities. What do you think you need for belief? I honestly don't know because I feel like there's definitely a part of me that already believes and I think that that's something that I think about like even when I'm like oh it's just not for me I think part of me like already views that as walking away from it so it's something that I think that I already believe in and there's just kind of like more clarification questions and just kind of what have I gotten myself into (laughs) And and then there's also um just kind of the people I surround myself with because I definitely I would say most people in my life this isn't really that important to them so I think for me it's hard to kind of have something that's important to me and not be able to share it but I don't think I, I don't want to say that I can't be my own person but I think a lot of it is because I wouldn't be able to share it with that many people and that would make me kind of dim it down and be less of a part of my life because it's not something that I could share Hmm. so it's kind of yeah that I don't know how to explain it much better (laughs) so basically the kind of community and maybe and so you tell me if I'm understanding you the kind of community of people that you're around Mm -hmm. would make it hard for you to be able to talk about these things share this part of your life with them um yeah does that sound, is that kind of essentially mm-hmm. it's the kind of the community? It's not necessarily your own personal beliefs. It's almost more of the people that you're around. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you've you've had some very real moments, I think, um, from what you've shared with me, Mariah, of God, just where it's for you been unmistakable, like this, him drawing you to himself. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that sense? That yeah, definitely. Like... I, I don't think since we last recorded anything, anything's crazy has happened. <laughs> I know I had very definite things happen um, in the past for that. And for me, that's something too, where I was just kind of asking, like, how does he speak to you? For me, I think it is definitely more physical, just because it's already a belief there. And it's just kind of like solidifying it, I think. Um so it has been literally physical things that have been given to me or that I found that just kind of speaks to me in that way. When you were 11, so. getting that Bible, getting that little prayer thing, finding that little mm-hmm. note at Target. Yeah, he keeps on leaving little things for you, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, little things. I think the thing, too, is even a lot of the people that I do have in my life that are believers, most of them, they believe in it, but they're kind of where I'm at, where I don't necessarily do much with it whereas I know it's there but I don't necessarily address it and I definitely don't change what I do because of it for the most part so I think it's very on the fence with that Mm -hmm. well one thing I would say to you is you your situation is not unusual there are plenty of people who've said you know I believe and who Jesus is, I believe that he is God, that he's the son of God, that he 
lived a perfect life and he died and rose from the dead. And he's the only way I can get to heaven. And I can learn about God through the Bible. I can understand his character. I can uh, learn how he's interact with humanity. I can learn how to live for myself, that there's a meaning of my life, all of these kind of things. People can believe, can people say like, I like all this and I believe all this, but boy, it's going to cost me a lot. Mm-hmm. And it has for many people have lost friendships over it, or they've lost family relationships over it. And so number one, your, your situation, my dear, is sadly not unique. Um, in the sense of it's not, it's not just as easy as me saying, here's a thousand dollars. You take a thousand dollars, you walk off and life is great. Sometimes these decisions can be really difficult, but difficult decisions just because a, situ- a, a, a decision is difficult doesn't mean it's a decision we can't make. And definitely as you're thinking this through and as you're continuing to ask and continuing to seek these things out continue to ask yourself, is this something that I am willing to say, I want to give my life to, and it may cost me these friendships, but that doesn't mean new ones won't come. It doesn't mean that you won't have other people step into your life that you can talk about these things with. Then the day comes down to what are you willing to do for truth? What are you willing to do for the God who sacrificed himself for you. And that is not an easy question, Mariah. It's an easy, it's not an easy answer. It's an easy question for me to ask. It is an easy one to answer. And I fully understand that. I do. You, you mentioned, I love this idea. Like, you know, I, I listened to the podcast about, you know, the receipt and seeing something, the verse on the back of the receipt and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes God is referred to as the hound of heaven. It's a, by a poem by a gentleman named Francis Thompson. And this idea of him being the hound where he chases and chases us and we keep running the other way. And so, but we can hear the footsteps. We can hear the hound coming, but we run. And we try these other things to find joy in life or fulfillment in life or whatever in life. But we still keep hearing the hound and eventually we finally surrender and say, okay. And so, and so when you're, when you're talking about the things that the little pieces that God has done in your life, that hound may be pursuing you. He may be pursuing you. So you have a lot. Of, I understand your place. You have a lot of difficult things to think through. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's interesting because on one hand, it's I can tell that it's obviously important to me. I mean, I'm here. I got four hours of sleep and I'm here. I know. <laughs> you're amazing. And you're a college student. That's huge. <laughs> and you can think I mean, and ask these big the questions summer, before so. I was asleep. <laughs> yeah. So it's important to me, but I definitely have times even where when I'm not. I don't want to say what I'm not, but I feel like I'm faking it almost. Like if I like take the time to like, okay, I'm going to like listen, go to church. If I'm going to read my Bible, I almost feel like that's fake. But then when I'm just out and acting like it's not real, I almost feel like it's fake too. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's because there's definitely belief there and I know that there is. But when I take action towards like taking time into that, I feel like I'm faking it. And then when I'm drawing away from it, I feel like I'm faking as if I don't believe it. So that's kind of where I sit. I feel like it's not, like it just doesn't click either Mm. way. What do you mean by faking it? Um, I don't know, like I'm trying too hard to like, Mm. almost almost like I'm trying to prove to myself that I either believe or I don't. Mm. 
mm. is what it feels like. like if I if I sit down and I'm like okay well I'm gonna schedule time for this I almost feel like I'm doing that just to prove to myself that this is what I have to do to be able to actually believe mm. or this is what I'm doing to prove to myself that I don't believe or I'm doing this so that means I don't believe hmm well you could ask yourself some questions to help you figure out what you believe, right? Um, you could ask yourself, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about this whole crucifixion story and raising people and raising from the dead, like a dead person? Rise? You know, you can ask yourself those questions and find out what you believe by asking those questions. And in turn, your actions won't always reflect your beliefs but the mm-hmm. goal is that in in the beginning they may not but the goal is that you begin to sink them so your actions look more and more like your like what your beliefs are so i think i think this idea of putting this pressure on yourself of you know i have to get it exactly right or maybe i have to um i, I don't know i've got to act a certain way or do these certain things you might be making it even more harder on yourself versus looking at what actually do I believe? And what's interesting is you said what? Oh, I'm a pro at that making things harder than there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens with people like us that think Mariah, that's just what happens. We over, we analyze and analyze, and analyze decisions aren't always easy because you got to think it through to the deepest levels. And here's what's exciting about Christianity in regards to that is you, when you become a Christian, you don't stop thinking. You just, mm-hmm. it's like my whole life isn't thinking and analyzing these kind of things. It's like the journey just continues. All that's changed is my heart posture towards whether or not I believe this is true. And so asking yourself, do I believe that Jesus is the son of God? Ask yourself, do I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead? Ask yourself, do I believe he's the only way to heaven? If you believe those things, well, then you're already a Christian and you get to keep asking questions and keep enjoying those and and keep enjoying that journey. So give yourself a little slack, friend. You're doing a great job. You're asking good things. You're thinking them through. You're trying to be honest with yourself. It's beautiful to watch. And it's beautiful to watch the hound chase you (laughs) since the time you were a kid as well. But um, definitely keep thinking about it. And definitely keep feeling like God did the hard work. It's up to me just to believe. And that's the easier part. I think too, um, as somebody who also like can spend a lot of time thinking, (laughs) you know, I talked about earlier about (laughs) wanting to be on the lawnmower just so I could spend a lot of time thinking. That was before we pressed record. Um, (laughs) You know, the human experience is mixture. Uh, there's a pastor out of Portland, Josh White, that I love to misquote all the time. <laughs> and he says that, you know, there are there is a war within our members, right? This one that wants this, but also wants this. And for me, even now, having walked with the Lord for, you know, 30 something years, like there is this desire for both. Yes, I want Jesus, but oh, I really want this, you know, and it is a constant battle. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, it is about surrender. It is about just letting go and going, do I actually believe these things? And I'm, am I going to surrender to that even when I don't feel it? Mm-hmm. Uh, because trust me, 
there are days even now where I don't feel it. And oh, it's yeah. surrendering to that. Yeah. Alicia, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely days where you're, it's just getting back to what Mariah was saying earlier about love and, and being an emotion and a feeling. You don't always feel things, especially people with that are thinkers, right? Our natural way mm-hmm. to process through things is our mind, not our emotions. So feeling certain things, that doesn't necessarily help us to know where we really stand because our emotions necess- don't necessarily come and our emotions may come and go in that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally totally understand that yeah all right mariah if you have any final thoughts and then i think you have the final question over there not many other thoughts but i definitely have a question (laughs) (laughs) okay um the finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration eternity authenticity and love of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with jesus christ which of those stand out to you the most in your life right now and why so i guess if you were to ask me this question um, two months ago, I might have one answer. If you asked me this question two months ago, now I might have a different answer. So I'm going to go with the answer I have today because I feel like based on where I am in my life, there are different things <laughs> that, would, that would mean more to me. I think right now is the idea of restoration. You know, um, we talked a bit about, or I talked a bit earlier about how, you know, you look at life through the rose colored glasses, you know, mm-hmm. and you see so much good in people. And oftentimes I think when we see horrific things, you know, we think of people as monsters or as um, beyond repair. And the problem for the Christian is that monsters can't be redeemed or restored, but people can. And even as I've looked over the last year or so of my life, the beauty of the restoration of the individual is something that I long to see. I think we have a world right now that, that supports canceling people when we, when we say certain things wrong or do certain things wrong. As if by me saying, I no longer will watch your movie or listen to your music or buy your book or whatever, we can make the person disappear. There's no room for that in Christianity because restoration of the of an individual is a, a key central part of what God desires and what he does with us. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the Japanese art of Kintsugi and I might be pronouncing it wrong. Um, so even if you did hear about it, you probably don't even recognize it based on how I'm saying it, <laughs> but Kintsugi is the Japanese art of taking a piece of pottery that's broken a bowl, let's say, and fixing it to make it new again. So, you know, Japan, there's a lot of earthquakes. Your pottery pottery bowls fall off the shelf and they shatter. A lot of people would see that as garbage now. It's useless. But a kintsugi artist doesn't see it that way. And you bring your shattered pieces to the kintsugi artist. And the artist uses gold or silver or platinum lacquer and uses it to mend the bowl back together. And so while you see all the glue seams of gold, all the glue seams of silver, all the glue seams of platinum in the bowl, the bowl is made whole again. It's restored. And what's interesting about the bowl is that because it's been fixed this way with gold or silver or lacquer, it's actually worth more now fixed than it was when it was broken. It's actually 
more beautiful now when it was fixed and when it was broken. And I think as I look at the culture around me, I grieve over the way that we don't, we no longer want to restore people who the creator has written his name on. And I would love it if we could become a culture, become a people who saw beauty in the brokenness and made, didn't make our lives all about those times we shattered into pieces. We failed ourselves, we shamed ourselves, but our lives can be about who we now are as beautiful pieces of pottery put back together. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alicia, thank you for coming back on and sharing. And I just really appreciate your wisdom and your ministry and the way that God has just um, empowered you to speak truth. And I'm so thankful that you are a questioner and a thinker because it's a benefit to those who listen. Mm -hmm. And um, Mariah, I'm just thankful for you and for your honesty. And um, I I just think that your journey is an encouragement to others who maybe are sitting there either not wanting people to know that they're struggling with those issues or who are just wondering, what does Christianity even have for me? So I really appreciate you just even, you know, after only four hours of sleep coming on here and being willing to do this. I think it's such a gift. I feel like a lot of it too is just my age I think and I think that's really common for people who grew up in the church and then stayed or people that um came to it when they were older it's from the sounds of it my age tends to be the age that has the most not necessarily the most questions but the most trouble Mm. having those questions or feeling like it's fake or just kind of going away from it more Mm. just because you go from being in your parents house and for me, I wasn't really rebellious as a teenager. So I guess now would be more of my time to have that rebellious stage. Mm-hmm. So you do have all of these newfound freedoms and life change. I think it's very difficult to look at it because it almost seems like a new set of rules mm-hmm. when you just kind of get to be an adult and make your own rules. And then you're looking at it like, oh, there's another set of rules, even though it's really not necessarily like that it's definitely what it looks like so I think that's been my thing too especially coming right out of my house it was not even a thought in my mind I know I talked about it towards the tail end of high school it was more important to me and then as soon as I moved out I basically was a free woman and didn't care about anything I was like okay this is time for life and I think it's interesting because they're they can go together but it's definitely I think at this stage in my life and for many people early 20s tend to be pretty interesting for that aspect yeah yeah I fully I fully agree Mariah. do you uh the, your age is I find it seems like 14 to 24 is when people start saying okay mommy and daddy said this mm-hmm. but this is where I am so you are absolutely right this is the age where people are sorting through these things, which is why I'm glad that you are. I'm glad that you're willing to engage, that you're willing to talk. So many people are not willing to engage or talk. You're willing to do a whole podcast, a series of podcasts kind of thing. Like good for you to care that much about yourself and about truth. That's what this is a reflection of, is that you want to know what is true. Don't ever lose that in life because there are so many things that aren't true that are attractive. 
We wish they were. We wish they were true. Not everything that is true is as beautiful as you want it to be. But I would much rather choose the truth over the lie. Let me ask you one more question. Would you want Christianity to be true? I think so. I think it would make a lot more sense. (laughs) Or in a way, I think I'd want Christianity to be true. But it just kind of goes with uh, people aren't necessarily the best. So I think that's kind of also a scary answer, just seeing things Mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily think were good kind of coming from Christianity or people using yeah. it as a front to do bad things. Yes. I think that that's definitely very off-putting. So even though there's this want for it to be true, I also see how people have used it. And it definitely makes me kind of question if it is true because it's two different things. I think people have done that not just with Christianity, but a whole, every religion I think has been used wrongly at some point by some people. And I think that that's very off-putting for people that are trying to move towards it because you see what people have done with it and you don't necessarily want what they've done with it, but you want the religion itself. Yeah. You are so spot on. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Brennan Manning. He once said the greatest single cause of atheism today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Brennan Manning was a Christian author pastor, theologian. He struggled with that. I struggle with that as well. And it makes it harder um, because I come in and I try and talk about Christianity is beautiful. And then people have all these experiences of where Christians have been ugly. Mm-hmm. And I get it because I've seen ugly Christianity, you know? And so you're absolutely right. And, and, and I think the only way then for us to deal with that is to, is to just bring ourselves back to square one which is at the end of the day, the last thing I want anybody to do is to follow a Christian. I want them to follow Christ. And as you're looking at the Bible and as you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what ultimately you're being asked to do is follow Jesus himself. There will be ugly Christianity around you until we move on to the next stage here with this earth. There will be beautiful Christianity around you until then as well. We will, it is, and it's been in the past and it will always be there because Christians are humans who do what's good for them at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, thankfully, the Bible doesn't say, believe, confess with your mouth that Christians are good and believe in your heart that, um, you know, whatever, what they teach or whatever. It doesn't say that. It actually says, believe, if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be a Christian. And thankfully, it puts the focus on Jesus and not on us. Because for all the reasons that you're saying, which I can't argue against because I've seen it too. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And just to add one thing. One more thing to that and confirms that Alicia, you and I are kindred spirits, not based on just the last name alone. <laughs> but one of my favorite things to talk about is something that Brennan Manning once said. Oh. And uh, he he has this great clip. If you look it up, it's so good. He says uh, that he believes, and I, I don't know if this is true, but I love the sentiment. He goes, I believe that on the last day, on the judgment day, when each of us stand before our Heavenly Father, Jesus is going to ask one question and only one question. 
Did you believe that I loved you? Because if we get that question right, it changes everything. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.